Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favourite things. And with the wonders of modern technology, sitting across from me, even though I'm at uh, at home recording this, is Wilbur Wilde, and I can see him on a screen, and he can see me, and isn't technology marvellous? Hello, Willie. And don't we sound just great, and we sound so close. We do. We, we sound like, am I on your knee, or are you on mine? Well, I think individual chairs is permissible, despite the fact that over the years, you and I can presume a certain level of intimacy. It's lovely to be here. Yes, but we're still wearing masks just to be safe and, uh, and all, oh, yeah. all is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. uh, Wilbur Wilde, uh, great to have you on Favourites. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, give us a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Pleasure. I always love to go back to the very beginnings of, you know, little Willie Wilde or, or uh, little Nick, I guess, at the time, uh, run, running around... Little Nicky, little Nicky Aitken, Phyllis's boy. That's right, yes. Now, tell us mm-hmm. about Phyllis and tell us about uh, Mr Phyllis. Uh, what, were, what were the Aitkens like as parents? Were, were they, were they show-busy type people? Is that where it comes from for you? Mum played piano. Dad died in a car accident when I was three and a half in 1959. Oh, wow. So, Mum married this creep in about 1963, April Fool's Day, would you believe? April <laughs> Fool's Day, 1963, she married the company. Mum. <laughs> Thinking, Phyllis. That's writing itself. Uh, she's yes. a dear thing. She's been gone for about fifteen years now. But uh, that marriage, that second marriage, didn't last long. But Dad, from all I've been told, and my big brother was ten and a half when Dad died. So I really, my grieving was for Mum and Chris, my brother, because yeah. uh, she's been absolutely devastating. And well, I know it was. Phyllis, though, went back to work. As a government shorthand writer, Nan and Pop, her parents, played a big part in our lives and a big part in mine because when Dr Jolly in Lux Street, Eltham, I had bronchitis when I was about 10 years old, and Dr Jolly said, well, Nikki, I want you to take your medicine. Yes, Dr Jolly, probably holding Phyllis's hand at the time in the surgery. And he said, you know what? To strengthen your lungs, why don't you play a wind instrument? Oh. So Nan and Pop went and bought me a clarinet, which I still have, and that's probably, well, the next year, uh, my first at Ivanhoe Grammar, I started clarinet lessons, and that, Simon Owens, is when the trouble started. Wow. <laughs> that's fabulous, and so much better than playing the recorder like the rest of us were forced to do. Up until then, I was playing recorder, and I think I must have driven Phyllis nuts with the descant harmony of God Save the Queen. Oh, okay. Yeah, for us, it was Three Blind Mice or Frere Jaca. Uh, That's right. Well, the the rounds were good. But now, with respect to those tunes that we've just referenced, they are, along with the hymns that we sang in the choir at uh, Ivanhoe Grammar, it was an Anglican thing, and I still remember my descant harmony to Psalm 23, but they were the building blocks of their foundational music uh, things because um, the, the chord progressions back then and learning about harmony, and I, I still yep. refer to them. And, you know, okay, with jazz, you know, there's some augmentations that you can make, but it's still really sound grounding. So uh, yes. to those music teachers, well, one in particular, who, who recently rode on ahead, by name Sid Simpson, well, well, I, I, uh, 
my first music teacher at Ivanhoe Grammar and I, I was able to let Sid know over the years that he'd made a real impression oh. and that he was a very important person in my life. Yeah, that's nice. That's 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 lovely that uh, when you get the chance to do that, to, to go back right. to the... I, I've got a teacher who uh, calls in occasionally to the program uh, oh, who, nice. who was a major influence on me. I, I was not a, not a great student. And, uh, <laughs> and when I say not a great student, I was a well-behaved student. I just wasn't born to be educated. And he tried and tried and tried. <laughs> To the point where he even got the lowest uh, performers of our class and had them come to his house where his wife made us lunch um, and yeah. our parents had to take us, so it was all above board, uh, oh, yeah, uh, so, so that he could give us extra tutoring in the lead-up to our exams. And, and you know, and, that's and, that and sort what of subject? effort. Oh, that was economics and legal studies. Both of, oh, fantastic. <laughs> neither yeah, of which see, I Both passed. of which I didn't study, but... Uh, that's a great, isn't that great? And, uh, you know, I yeah. mean, and, and look, uh, Sid is not the only person to whom I've made a phone call or have thanked for the encouragement, for the uh, uh, counsel yeah. and the uh, the support that uh, with which I was provided. And, and not just teachers, but, uh, you know, some, some good mates who are still good mates who at one stage, you know, gave me, you know, I was carrying on like a pork chop and they just give me a little elbow and said, hey, Pull your head in, and you go. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> and that's uh, you know along the way, you know. And I mean, I'm still quite capable of carrying on like a pork chop, but hopefully not in the same fashion for which I was chided. No, fair enough too. Now, so uh, playing the clarinet, you would be one of yep. uh, ten thousand kids learning the clarinet. That's right. So, how did Wilbur Wilde or Nick stand stand out? What was that first uh, thing that happened to you that that sort of set you aside from others? I'll give you the $13 version. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've covered the clarinet at Ivanhoe Grammar, yep. played in the orchestra, uh, switched over to saxophone because it was bigger, louder, and shinier yes. than the clarinet, marched in the cadet band, uh, played in the school orchestra, and had so much fun participating that uh, when studying uh, what HSC yep. music in uh, 1972, I wanted to go to the conservatorium and get a, a muzzback, a bachelor of music and a dip ed and teach in a good school and do gigs on Friday and Saturday night. And so my whole life was shot to pieces. In those days, they didn't take saxophone as a first instrument at the conservatorium. So I went off to Monash for six months and oh, did, did a music unit and an arty arts course, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. By then, I wanted to perform and uh, play and play live and learn stuff. So I dropped out and played in a nightclub eventually in Melbourne and then hitchhiked up to the Gold Coast in 1974 and uh, to see one of my saxophone teachers, with whom I was on the phone only a couple of weeks ago, Simon. Yeah. And uh, he's in his 80s now, but I still maintain contact with him. And I just said, there you go. And, and in fact, he's got named Pete Bowers, and he eventually played <clears throat> in 1975. He played baritone saxophone, and I was playing tenor saxophone on on the prowl. Oh, so, so Pete, you know, it's, yeah, so I was able to repay the favour. He got me a start in the band at the Rosebud Pub back in 1973. Yeah. And uh, the old snake pit we played in the public bar. But anyway, I went to visit him on the Gold Coast. And uh, from that, I did a tour with Roy Orbison for about 10 days, which was lovely. And he brought his band over from the United States. And and, and these moments are important. I, I look... You know, I think back now, I think, wow, you know, there I was, I'd just turned 18, touring with Roy Orbison. At the time, though, you know it's good. You think, oh, this is great, and you hear Roy sing, and you think, this is superb, what a great... 
And you're thinking, boy, he's a great showman too. And the guys in his band, they sing mighty harmonies. And, and so you, you're sort of involved in it, uh, in, in the now, if you will. Yep. And, uh, but reflecting upon it now, they're so, so, you know, just such important moments in my life to see Roy Orbison stand in front of a, 1,500 people at the Toowoomba Town Hall, and and we do three songs. You know, we've just done Working for the Man and, yep. you know, Leah and, you know, and, and, and then he's in A Pretty Woman. And then the crowd, of course, are just, you know, in rapture. Yeah. And then Roy says, well, and it's the first thing he said, and it's his only bit of patter than I can remember, and, it, and there wasn't much. Yeah, he wasn't so, much well, of a talker, yeah. There, well, no, that's right. And he'd, he'd sort of look at the audience and say, well, well thank you very much We've We've had a few requests, but we're going to keep playing anyway. And that was Roy's joke. And I, I heard it, what, 10 or 11 shows I did with him, laughed every time because it was funny. Yeah. So you just, you know, and uh, so but, but uh, then uh, what What happened? You ask about Wilbur Wild. After that, uh, Roy Robertson tour, I stayed in a nightclub on the coast where I met some great players, all older than me, and you're just soaking up. You know the tunes, and they're you know they're, they're singing and they and learning new tunes is what I still try to do uh, today. Yeah, and uh, went to the Sydney Conservatorium in 1975 to study jazz. Lasted about another six months, and then old 55 advertised on the radio for a saxophone player. So I went out to the gig, and I was the only one who showed up, and uh, <laughs> that's where I met Frankie J Holden. Of Isn't course, Peter Brian is his other real name. Yes. He was a chartered accountant at Price Waterhouse. So when Frankie J walked, well, when Peter Bryan walked into the dressing room, it was generally in a suit, carrying a briefcase. And 30 minutes later, with half a tub of brill cream in his hair, plus a gold lame suit, the transformation was manifest. That is fabulous. I had no yeah. idea he was an accountant because no, that was mm, I was going right. to I was going to ask and that's usually the I, I always ask of, well of, you studied economics so well yeah. well I, the, the question I usually ask of, of celebrities because I I think it has just sort of good gentle humour in it is to say so Wilbur Wilde you know musician saxophonist you know TV star all of that was there ever the uh, the chance that you were going to become a chartered accountant uh, when you were at school was, were there any other dreams of, of what your career might have been. And chartered accountant is actually what I usually use just to demonstrate, well, did you ever think of a more boring life that you might have led? With respect to the accountants listening, (laughs) I'm led to believe they they live interesting and exciting lives. Um, I was studying sciences with um, medicine in mind, but, you know, what sort of doctor I would have made, who knows. Um, Frankie J, though, was the golden boy. He'd been at Price Waterhouse for a couple of years, well on his way to being a partner because that's the sort of guy Frank is. Yep. I should say Peter Bryan OAM. Yes, yes. Or Frank, actually, I think it's Frankie J. Holden OAM. Okay, Isn't yeah. that funny? Yeah. So one of the clients, though, saw us on Countdown in uh, late 75 and reported Frank to the to the partners, and they called him in on the Monday morning and said, to, <clears throat> Mr. Bryan, here are your papers. So no, no, look, hang on a second, I'll, I'll quit the band. I'll, I'll no, no, it's too late for that, son. Uh, you're out of here. So he had to go home and tell his parents. We'd tell a little story about this, that he was no longer the golden boy on his way to being a partner at uh, Price Waterhouse. And I said, and I said, well, well, what did your dad say? And he said, well, oh, Harry, and he was a bit of a tough nut, Harry. He said, uh, Dad, I, uh, I've, I've quit the, I, I've quit Price Waterhouse. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to sing with a band. 
And Harry's reading the paper on a Sunday afternoon. You know, yeah, right, mate. Right, mate. Go tell your mum. And I said, well, what did uh, Stella, Harry and Stella, what did Stella say? And he said, well, <laughs> I went into the kitchen and she had the roast in and I said, Mum, I'm uh, quitting accountancy now and I'm going to be the lead singer in a rock and roll band called Old 55. I said, well, how did she react? She said, well, she, she, she opened the oven. She took the, uh, she took the chicken out and put it on the bench and then she put her head in. <laughs> That's a good line. Uh. And, uh, but, of course, they were very proud of, uh, of Frankie J because he's, you know, who would you know? Who would have thought he was a a wonderful natural talent? Yeah, a great impressionist and uh, an an absolute uh, gregarious and fantastic frontman. I consider myself very lucky to have served alongside him and, of course, Joe Camilleri, oh, with whom I spent about four and a half years in the Falcons. So. Oh, yeah, we'll talk, talk about that in a sec. But just on, oh, la- last thing on on Frankie and the aliases, as it were, with with yeah, your yeah. name and his name, did either of you ever make it official? Like, I, I know Michael Caine's real name was Morris Micklethwaite, and he got sick of going to airports around the world when he was travelling to promote movies and stuff and having people yeah. question him because they knew he was Michael Caine, but his passport had the wrong name. So he legally yeah. Changed his name to Michael Kane, so that he, just so he could get through customs easier. Back in the day when you could do it, you can't do it now. You could have an AKA on your passport. Now Frankie J oh. had an AKA Frankie J Holden. I never bothered, and he and he don't. You know, when I come through customs, I'm Nicholas Aitken, Nicholas yep. Robert Aitken, or or as uh, as I was known to uh, uh, Gavin Disney, uh, one time uh, partner and executive producer. Uh, of Daryl and Hey Hey at Saturday, uh, he used to call me Little Nicky, Phyllis's boy, because he knew mum. But anyway, so, so I kind of introduced myself now as, oh, no, I'm just Little Nicky, Phyllis's boy. But um, uh, yeah, so Nick Aitken and, and every now and then the customs uh, officer would go, oh, hang on a sec. Oh, you're, oh, that's, oh, yeah. You know, and they'd say, g'day, how you going? But uh, Frank's Peter Bryan when he travels and uh, and my, uh, what, for the entry cards, I just put musician. Nicholas Robert Aitken, musician. There yeah, you go. lovely. Uh, now, but, uh, that, so, that just came about because all the other guys in the band had funny names, and I just came up with uh, Wilbur Wilde. I thought, oh, Wilbur Wilde will do. Because it was a live to air gig on Double J, and Frank, uh, for the first gig that I did with Old 55, and he's introduced the band and said, Oh, Rock Pile Jones, and Frankie J. Holden, and Drain Pipe Plumber. And he's looked at me, and instead of saying Nick Aitken, said, Oh, Wilbur Wilde. Yeah. I said, that'll, that'll do till I can think of something that, and anyway, it's stuck. So that's, here we are. That, and that's how it came about. How about that? That's right. Uh, now, Joe Camilleri, you, you mentioned Joe. The, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Joe Camilleri, Black Sorrows. So uh, what, what's the timeline in, in with you know, Old 55, Joe Okay, Camilleri. Old 55, mid-1975. So they did their first gig on July the 4th. I joined the band maybe the end of July, and that was that live-to-air gig on Double J. Yep. Then... In May of 1977, so only, what, 22 months, 21 and a half, two months later, Frank and I left the band. He quit on a Sunday afternoon in Canberra to say that he was going to go off and pursue his uh, other interests, including acting, and he hasn't he done a sensational yeah, job with that? Yeah. And I knew it wasn't going to be as much fun without him, so I quit too. We, res- uh, we recorded in the June of that year a contractual obligation to Mushroom Records. So we were all on Mushroom and Skyhooks, and we toured with Skyhooks in 1976, and well, and that which is where I met Red Simons, of course. But yes. 
Um, Frank and I left the band on the same day and he went, uh, lived in Fairy Bower and drove cabs and hung out with his mates for a while. And uh, I uh, got a lift home to um, Sydney where I was still living because of the um, conservatorium thing. I'd gone up there. I stayed, it's been a couple of years, in, two and a half years in Sydney. I was uh, staying with Eric McCusker who I'd met day one at the Conservatorium of Music back in 1975, and uh, uh, his dad had gone away on some, oh, I don't know, cosmic ray conference. He was a physicist, and uh, Eric and I were inhabiting the place at Bronte, overlooking the Bronte Beach. It was a great house, and drinking uh, percolated coffee and sitting in bean bags, <laughs> staring out at that bank of clouds that stays there all winter. And Eric said, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I don't know, just do something. And Eric at the time was... Uh, in the John English band, and they were supporting Brian Ferry. And this is really a story about John. Uh, so Eric said, well, maybe John wants a horn player. I said, well, that, you know, that'd be lovely. So Eric gets on the phone on that Sunday evening and says, hey, uh, John, uh, Wilbur Wilde's uh, just come. He's quit old 55. He hasn't got a gig. He's not doing anything. Do we, you know, do we need a uh, horn player? And John English, of course, said, yeah, come along. <laughs> come along to Soundcheck tomorrow. So... That night, the Monday night after soundcheck, I was on stage with the John English Band at the Horden Pavilion supporting Brian Ferry. Wow, isn't that fabulous? And then we did a few more gigs in Sydney and that brought us to Melbourne and we did a gig at Festival Hall on the following Sunday and it was after the wrestling, right? So we didn't go on stage until oh, midnight almost. And I remember Brian Ferry coming in the back door, the stage door of Festival Hall, following it all the way to his dressing room, following a trail of blood. Yeah. Probably belonging to, like, Skull Murphy or uh, <laughs> Killer Kowalski or, you know, whoever was the whoever was the bad guy that night. And Brian in his fedora and his linen suit was going, oh, mate, my, my, my dear boy, what's been going on here? I, 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 I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. You know, Brian from art school, and of course, you know. It was this exposure to Australian culture and rock and roll. And the following morning, after that great gig with uh, the John English band, who and John, John was so that was what he was like. He was so generous, and the thought you know, of me, oh yeah, man, come along and play the gig, and everything will be fine. Yeah. So um, you know, and and you know, at the time you think, oh great, you know, but once again, a really important moment where because of the generosity and the uh, just the kindness of John English. Yeah. I ended up there and came back home to Melbourne. And uh, Steve Hill, who was managing JoJo Zepp and the Falcons at the time, but he was the original singer in the Skyhooks. He was too. Steve Hill he, called he, me. A, a much right. more gruff voice than Cheryl ever had. Uh, uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but he'd been, he quit the band uh, after uh, Sunbury because, you know, they received some. Uh, Oh, I don't know. Their welcome wasn't uh, as, as, you know, lukewarm reviews. <laughs> well, uh, not so much the reviews. I think it was with Steve. And I, look, I, I, this is my understanding. It was sort of the crowd reaction where they were, they wanted Billy Thorpe and then Skyhooks yeah. had come out doing Skyhooks. And, you know, I mean, anyway, Steve had uh, by then started managing JoJo Zepp and the Falcons. And he got on the phone with me. And I was at Mum's place, I was at Phyllis's house. And he said, uh, Joey, Joey wants you at uh, Gary Young's place tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for rehearsal. And that was actually over at Knott Street Ball. And there you go. So I rocked over there and joined the Falcons. And so I was out of work 
Oh, for a bit, total of about 12 hours. That's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, you stayed know, about four and a half years with Falcons. Yeah, anyway, yeah. And you, you know what I love hearing that story, I mean, going from one to the other to the other, what I love ab- about the, the uh, music scene in Australia as it seems to be, and as, mm-hmm. as an outsider... I love how there doesn't appear to be like intense rivalries and, and you know, we're, we're trying to get this gig or we're trying to get this record contract. Everyone seems to be just great mates and, and helpful to each other's careers. Yes and no. Okay. Because, you know, it's still a hustle. It was a hustle then and it's still a hustle now. And to some extent, and Joe, you know, Joe said this, he said, sometimes back then the other bands were the enemy. Oh, okay. You know, so and there was he, a bit you know, of that. A, a single had come out and we'd go, oh, you know, oh, oh, they're okay. You know, <laughs> well, we're better. You know, it's just the, the eternal struggle of the artist. Of course, oh, what's the, what's, what's that guy doing? You know, you've got a number one single. Go, oh, we could have done it. Yeah, but but you, you, eventually, I, I like to think I've grown out of that. And uh, you get inspired by uh, wonderful performances. Who, who Somebody said, um, uh, uh, talent recognises genius. Mediocrity recognizes nothing but itself. Now, you know, I didn't write that, but <laughs> I think the first time somebody said, and mediocrity recognizes nothing but itself. I think I said, oh, what's wrong with that? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but, uh, um, so we had um, uh, Australian Crawl, had the Angels, we had Split Ends, we had Skyhooks, of course, we had Cold Chisel. Uh, Cold Chisel were our, the Falcon Support Act in. Um, Adelaide, for instance, that's where I got to know those guys. I'd stick around after the Falcons had finished and uh, and play with Chisel because they were great. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So there was that. So there is that. So just to reference what you said about the the, the brotherhood, fraternity, uh, or sisterhood, sorority. Um, there's you know good musicians who go. Hey, well, which is why I ended up in the Falcons because of the saxophone thing with mm. Joe. Yeah, and that's still there these days where. We, you know, we're interested in, you know, saying, you know, he said, oh, I've been listening to a bit of John Coltrane and Orn- Ornette Coleman, and these names, you know, God, Miles Davis. Oh, yeah, great. You know, so you, it, it's, there's a, a a common interest. And once that is there, well, I think the rest takes care of itself. Something that stuck in my mind with yourself and Joe both being saxophonists, and, and I, I don't know why I loved it so much, but when there was that drawn uh, game uh, AFL Grand Final between St Kilda, two thousand ten, and then the the next week yeah, everyone's had to come back, and I I can't remember who played which theme, but but both you and Joe each played. Well, Joe's the Collingwood guy. Oh, Joe's the Collingwood guy. Okay, so Joe yeah, played so the Collingwood St Kilda, just yeah, yeah, yeah. So you played the St Kilda theme on your on your sax. I, certainly did. I got the best tune. When the Saints come marching in, with respect to the Collingwood theme song, <laughs> I'm a demons man, so, you know, not much. Respect. Anyway, uh, but uh, the, I got When the Saints Come Marching In, and there was just something about that I loved. I, I don't know what I don't know why, but it's always stuck in my mind. I remember watching that, and that was, because I'm not a football fan, that was my highlight yeah, okay. of the day, was actually just seeing you two play the sax uh, for the, the two teams. It was great. I remember it very fondly too. Uh, that that day, of, uh, as you would, there's a hundred thousand people at the MCG, and it's a wonderful occasion, yeah. whether you're into football or not. But uh, Lionel Richie was uh, seconded. That's he just right. happened to be touring, yeah. and uh, so my then ten year old son Howard and I walked out onto the ground to the strains of Oh No, Lord, and it was just so groovy. 
And uh, Howard, uh, I said, have a look around. And Howard just, uh, he's a Bulldogs man. But anyway, uh, he looked around and said, this is great. Dad, look at this. I said, well, you know, you'll remember this. And um, we sat in front of the St Kilda cheer squad and bless their cotton socks. They passed over a St Kilda flogger to Howard. And Howard just, I was standing in the goal square and Howard just sat on the grass, on the boundary line fence. And yeah. uh uh, and, and it was just a, a, a really happy and joyous thing. And then, of course, I'm I'm playing when the Saints and everybody's seeing that. And then the Collingwood fans they start to try and drown you like Collingwood, yeah, yes, when I say Collingwood. And I mean, but that's that's part of the thing. It was just really cool. And we stuck around and uh, watched the match. You know, the AFL gave us some seat, seats, and and um, we all returned home tired but happy. But uh, but Lionel Richie. I was playing the horn lines for all night long as I was walking along, you know. Yeah, so it was, yeah. uh, it was a, a wonderful um, uh, occasion in which to be a participant. Now, Wilbur Wilde and acting. Has, has acting oh, ever been... Uh, yes, my dear, like, dear boy. Yeah. I, I know you... I, I remember there was a movie, Call and Get a Gold, and you appeared in yeah, that. I did but, that. Yeah. but other than that, I, I, I don't... I, and I'm terribly embarrassed to admit if, if there are other That's acting right. things that you've done, but I can't seem to recall that many. Is, oh, is it look, something uh, you've done? Half a dozen a um, yeah. feature films under my belt there, one of which is um, uh, Quentin Tarantino's favourite Oz movie, which is uh, a movie called Dead End Drive-In. Directed by Brian Trenchard-Smith, living in Los Angeles now, but one of Australia's, if not the most prolific, certainly one of Australia's most prolific directors. I did a couple of movies for Brian. Uh, Jenny Kissed Me was one. I did a two-hander with Deborah Lee Furness in that. And uh, Dead End Driving, I played a character called Hazard. It was a sort of post uh Holocausty sort of, you know, you know what I mean. We were all locked up in a drive-in, and you know, it was and fun ensued. But uh, no, it was actually. But Quentin Tarantino has cited that movie as um, uh, Oz, his favourite Ozploitation movie. And um, if that wasn't enough uh, for Quentin Tarantino, I was also in an uncredited role at the uh, start of the original Mad Max, nineteen seventy-nine. Yeah. So Mad Max One. It was only called Mad Max. My then girlfriend and I are the young lovers naked in a field. And it's about 59 seconds in, so pay attention next time. Is that right? There you go. Yeah, yeah. That, and I went to the reunion on the strength of that in 2019 <laughs> at the Maryborough Harness Racing Club. I drove up. Howard drove me up because I just had my hip done. And uh, we went up there and, of course, uh, Steve Bisley and uh, the late Paul Johnson, who played uh, Kundalini in that movie, yep. uh, a guy named John Lee, who was our mate, who actually suggested that we uh, come along and do some extra work. And uh, John Lee was, um, uh, well, he sadly died a couple uh, about a year ago, along with uh, Hugh Keys Byrne, one of the original cast members, who they were both there on the day, but they've since left us. But uh, John Lee said, oh, look, they, they need some extras for this movie. And uh, you should come. So we said, yeah, sure. And we got there and had a, a funny day. But the one person I did see at the reunion who looms large from those days is the legendary stunt coordinator, Grant Page. Now, Grant Page is now 84, and uh, he was just in such great form. I remember him very fondly as we sat around uh, in his Mercedes for the having completed our scene for the rest of the afternoon, waiting to get a lift home. And... Um, but here's a story, right? George, Dr. George Miller uh, found out that I was in a rock and roll band at the time, the Falcons, 
and he came along to one of our gigs, right? Yeah. And he said, because, look, you know, I need a theme song for this movie, you know. And I said, okay, great, you know, rock and roll, sort of, you know, Mad Max being what it is. And I sort of had an idea of what where it was going. It was set in the future and it was, like, tough and it would buy, you know, buy, you know, cost, yep. you know, fast. Yeah, so you get a, a notion for it. So um, a few weeks later, I'm sitting at the piano at uh, Sue Ingleton's house. She was an actor with the Pram Factory and we were sharing a house up in North uh, Carlton and I'm um, sitting at the piano and Simon's rocks in and he's going, what are you doing? I said, ah, oh, this uh, guy said, you know, he's, he's got a movie coming out and he wants to think, man, I'm going mad. Mad, mad. He said, well, how much is the budget? This is Red Simon. He said, how much is the budget? And I said, oh, I don't know. It's about six, 700,000 bucks. Oh, God. Simon's just looked at me and said, it's not going to do a thing. Let's go and have a coffee. <laughs> and of course, of course, he being the boss in those oh, days, I no. closed the lid of the piano and walked out the door with him oh. to go and get a coffee. Anyway, never did. How did Mad Max go? I, I don't remember. Oh, it, look, did uh, it kick you, on or anything? Look, I, I think I've heard it spoken about nostalgic circles. <laughs> yeah, just about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when people <laughs> rattle off a list of Australian films, it's in there somewhere. It's in yeah. there somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you now get to uh, you, we, something we have uh, in common. I, I did a little bit of extra work uh, myself. In? I, well, it, I was in a movie called Spotswood, which starred Sir Anthony oh, Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I get to fondly talk about the work that I did with Sir Anthony Hopkins when we both co started a movie I, I actually think i was edited out of the final movie but uh but i claim uh, and, and it was true i was there on set and uh so you you worked with mel gibson oh you co-starred with mel gibson i co-starred with sir anthony hopkins aren't they well, lucky you and i anthony hopkins mel gibson between us we've got like what six or seven academy awards exactly yep exactly they, they would be nothing without us <laughs> <laughs> now, but uh, once again, you know, the um, great uh, team efforts. That's what I found yeah. about the movie thing too. You know, and you work, you work hard, and you work, well, not so much for Mad Max. We just did one day, but the Cool and Gutter Gold. I was on the Gold Coast for about eight weeks. Is that uh, right? Nine weeks. Yeah, that's right. And we worked hard every day. And uh, uh, at night, we had uh, night shoots uh, for the band scenes and things like that. And it was just a, a really great vibe, great time of my life. Yeah, lovely. And it, it's great, isn't it, to have, well, as it is with the, the music work and stuff as well, when you release a single, it's there forever. And now that'll be on iTunes and, and Spotify and all that sort of stuff. It's great to have something physical uh, or, or some, something that's that's going to be there forever. A document, if you will. Yeah. And... Um, in this day and age with uh, YouTube, I mean, bless their cotton socks, the people who put on YouTube episodes of the Jackie Gleason show or of yes. uh, Dean Martin show. You know what I'm talking about here? Oh, yeah. Those things from whence we came. Uh, IMT, you know, the Don Lane show. It's all out there. And I mean, I, you know, the, the collective uh, uh, research that you can, you know, it, it's a great effort from uh, people who are interested in it and uh, I, I just love it. Well, I, I do a bit of that myself. I've, I've got a bunch of tapes from uh, Bert and Patty when they moved from <laughs> Camberwell. They, they had to clear out uh, a bunch of stuff. And so I, I'm, I've been uploading uh, episodes of Bert Newton's 1989 show that he did on Channel 7. And there's <laughs> okay. fascinating stuff that, uh, that comes up in there. The, the music acts of the day. I'm yet to see you guys on there, but I'm sure you'll be there. Uh, but uh, there, there's uh, first things like his first interview with Paul. Paul Keating pops up, and wow. so yeah, there's yeah. there's some very interesting bits and pieces. So it is so great that these platforms exist for us now. And and, and it's not that uh, 
you know, we live in the past. I mean, I'm, I, I keep abreast of world affairs and things. Oh, parlous state they're in at the moment, though they, though they are. But um, uh, it's just great to have uh, the reference. And also for the music side of things, when we can go back and have a look at, well, Skyhooks yep. at Sunbury, you know, and Billy Thorpe at Sunbury for us. And, I mean, these guys are um, uh, inspirations and heroes yeah. for me. And uh, just by circumstance, they sort of became mates. And um, in fact, uh, I'm doing a cruise with Frankie J. Holden very soon. And um, it's the Blue Suede Cruise. So there's some Elvis tribute artists involved and Frank and I are doing our thing. But our special guest with uh, Frankie and I is Glenn Shorrock. Ah, oh, lovely. Yeah. So Shorrock will lurch on and do uh, you know, Dream Lover and yeah. uh, Needle in a Haystack or something. But I mean, you know, I listened to Glenn Shorrock when I was a kid. And, 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 I mean, not only is he just a wonderful, wonderful singer, but he's hilarious. Yeah. You know, so, oh, he grew up with the goons and with Peter Sellers and, uh, you know, just brings that sort of thing. And, you know, when he came out uh, in the 50s with his folks and to Adelaide and everything like that, and he's what an amazing story. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, now, we should get on to um, uh, some of these favourites, which is the, the, the title of the, the of the segment, podcast. Yeah, um, okay. So I've got 50 things here. I'm going to randomly point at one and just read it and ask you what your favourites are. Uh, okay. Favourite uh, cartoon character? Foghorn Leghorn. Ah, oh, lovely. Hey, listen to me there, boy. I don't do a good impression, but uh, absolute great character. There you go. That's off the, the top of my head. I'm no, sure there's it, others, but uh, he, he springs to mind. Exactly. Uh, Favourite chip flavour? Plain. Plain? Yeah, just plain, like um, as in maybe Smith's, yeah, just you're, plain. You're not yeah. one of those I mean, okay, anti-salt yeah, and, and vinegar people? Yeah, oh, okay. maybe, yeah, maybe barbecue, yeah. Look, at a pinch, chicken, yeah. barbecue, oh, you know, whatever yeah. you got, but... I I default to uh, Smith's Plains. Yep, fair enough. Uh, favorite board game? Wow, haven't played one for years, but I do remember Squatter as being a lot of fun. Not oh, Monopoly, yes. Monopoly, yes, but Squatter. Yes, was uh, I? I sort of was enamoured of Squatter for quite some time. Back, uh, oh, you know, maybe um, remember playing it with Radford and Spear and Simpson. Three of my uh, still school friends uh, from the uh, late 60s. And, um, and I remember that you, you saw certain characteristics come out in your friends in those days, right? <laughs> you know, Simpson was um, – still a good mate. I had lunch with him the other day. <laughs> now, Simpson was sort of, you know, he'd stand back. He was, um, you know, what would you – just as astute. And, he, you know, he studied economics, not yes. unlike yourself, right? Yes. Radford, though, oh, Merciless, you know he win at all costs. <laughs> win at all costs. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah, anyway, that's squatter. Uh, favorite sport to watch? Uh, look, I love watching the footy, uh, but then again, women's golf, uh, men's golf. I I can get absorbed in that. Uh, Glenn Maxwell's recent triumph at the World yeah. Cup was just so fun, so much fun to watch. I played a lot of cricket myself, and I still uh, golf. But um, yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, a mixed match. Yep. Uh, favorite alcoholic drink? Well, um, I used to like uh, red wine. That yep. was that was good. And uh, I no longer uh, drink alcohol. But um, yeah, red wine. Yeah, sort of. It. Yeah, I would have defaulted back to that. Yep. Um, back in the day. And uh, um, it, it, just because it's it, it's great, it's tasty, and uh, it 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 was alcoholic. Yep, but <laughs> as, as it was too much. No, fair enough. <laughs> uh, favorite teacher? 
oh, look, um, look this goes yeah, back to the discussion few. before. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, yeah, well, that's right, too. There were a few. Um, my, phys- teacher, my physics teacher was a guy named uh, Dick Dooley, and he also played the cornet and the masters at Ivanhoe Grammar had a band called the Ad Mortem Rhythm Kings, Fidelius. Uskad Mortem was uh, our school motto, faithful unto death. And I uh, approached uh, Dick one day and I said, now, look, hey, you know, this jazz that you're playing, and that's what they say, trad jazz. I said, yeah, you know, well, how does that work? You know, what, how do you improvise? How do you do that without music? And he dragged me into a rehearsal studio and he said, right, sit down here. And he started playing Sweet Georgia Brown on the piano yeah. with his left hand. And he started playing the melody of Sweet Georgia Brown on his cornet with his right hand. And I just thought, oh, skill. Hey, look, I mean, and that's a moment you never forget. And uh, so he encouraged me, but there were there were plenty of others along the way. But Dick Dooley for today's favourite. That's like a Billy Joel, the piano man, uh, and playing the harmonica as he's playing the piano as well. Like how? I, I just don't get how people. Can well, that's that right too. And then then you've got the then you've got the people who uh, take it just one step too far and and bring those uh, knee symbols into play. Oh, and yeah, you know, no. <laughs> yeah, Dick Dooley, Billy Joel, genius. Yeah. Add the knee symbols. What an idiot. Yeah, exactly. You know? What a fool. What a goose. <laughs> uh, Favourite smell? A new baby's head. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I adore that. That is spot on. I'm, I'm a grandparent of two, and one is only just over a month old. So oh, that, that's, Oh, well, muscle top on that. Oh, that great, that, aren't they? That smell is just is the greatest. Uh, Favourite... Oh, this is a stupid one. Some of these... Cause I oh, to, I, it's either that or sausages on a barbecue. But oh, anyway, yeah, you know, yeah, keep going. Your Bunnings thing, yeah, yeah. Um, in order to come up with 50 on my list, which I have yeah. of favourites, some of them, I must admit, are a bit below par and probably should right. probably be replaced. Favourite wild animal? Well, this now this is the one. What's your spirit animals? Look, um, my best ever girlfriend is South African, so I've become partial to the rhinoceros Yes, uh, in recent times, uh, over the last four years, because her brother-in-law, uh, Cherry's brother-in-law, relocates uh, big game, like elephants, rhinoceros, lions, oh, giraffes. Right. That's what he does. He has a wonderful company called Conservation Solutions. Have a look at it on the web. And it's just uh, the work that they do is amazing. And they, they'll put uh, a dozen rhinoceros into their individual cages and they'll take them from South Africa to Rwanda in a 747. And I've, I've been exposed to this. Uh, I've not been to Africa. Uh, to say, you know, I'd love to go one of these days, if only to shake Kester Vickery's hand. That's his name. Conservation Solutions. So have a look at that and uh, have a look at the rhino, which is my spirit animal. There you go, barging around the place like a rhino in a china shop. <laughs> That's, that sounds magnificent. The, yeah. um, the, the the sketch comedy writer in me, or the wannabe sketch comedy writer in me, immediately pictures like an Amazon factory and you know, you wheel out the elephant, throw him in a, a box and put the tape over the top on the, you know, with the roller. But uh, Well, that's, that's what that's, they do. They, they dart them from the air. There's a couple of helicopters involved. And if the animal's... Uh, if the elephant are causing trouble in a village, or for instance, if they're you know they're trampling things, or if they're in danger from poachers, yep, uh, they'll take the family and they date them. Uh, they dart the matriarch, 
and then uh, tie her, you know, make sure that the, the trunk, put a stick in the trunk so she can still breathe. It's, look, I, you know, I could bang on. It's just a fantastic and humane, incredible uh, uh, living that, uh, that, that that they do over there. Yeah, a, a great service uh, as well as Yes, that's right. Uh, last one for you, favourite home-cooked meal? Look, I, I think Sherry does uh, a mac and cheese, which is just, uh, fantastic. <laughs> not what I'm it's expecting not, to hear from your no, South African other half. It's not particularly sort of exotic or anything. No. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, put, put me in for a carbohydrate frenzy with mac and cheese and <laughs> chuck, a bit, <laughs> chuck a bit of parmesan on the top. I'm, and I'm anybody's. No, I'm hers. But uh, look, uh, and, and look, I, I, I'm not bad at the short order stuff myself. So um, a couple of... Uh, Toasted ham and cheese sandwiches with assorted yeah. uh, relish and or mustard combinations. I, yeah. You know, I love that. Oh, mustard, mustard and ham are just two things. Oh, yeah. that just, yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, look, I'm I'm getting a bit hungry now. I might I might uh, might take care of a couple of those later on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm thinking the same, and I'm only meters away from my fridge. Uh, Willie, lovely to chat to you. I, I've really enjoyed the the chat, and you've been extremely generous with your time. I, no, that's uh, I, uh, my pleasure, Simon. It's a uh, it's good full frank free range and vigorous conversation with you is always enjoyable. Oh, now, before we go, I sh- we should also point out, I, I got a, an email the other day, uh, Memo Music Hall, um, there's a Christmas thing. Uh, clearly, I haven't got it in front of me to give it a proper plug. You, you would know more about it. Memo Music Hall on December the 16th, A Mighty Wild Christmas. Now, that's Wilbur Wild and the Troublemakers, so think hits of Countdown. Bit of Daddy Cool, of course, Jojo Zepp and the Falcons, Old 55, uh, Dragon. So uh, great, good time rock and roll. But A Mighty Wild Christmas is a family affair this year. So my son Toby has a great band called Dear Judy, and they play some really cool and funky stuff. They've got a couple of mighty original songs. Uh, very, uh, really skilled musicians, and that youthful energy just really translates well. Toby, along with his two brothers, Elliot and Howard, sing beautiful harmony, so we'll have a little feature of them doing a gospel thing. And Auntie Andy, our little sister, who sang with the BSO and was also accepted to the Berlin Opera, wow. uh, she's going to come along and do a, um, uh, and I've given it, I said, how long, Andy? And she said, oh, it goes for uh, three and a half minutes. Right. That's enough of Auntie Andy because she's a dramatic soprano. Hide your good crystal wear. Ah. And yeah, it's one of those. Dramatics, there's mezzo-soprano, then there's dramatic soprano. She's got a fantastic voice. She's going to sing a Christmassy, I think a Mozart cantata, but I'm, but uh, along that. So it's a, uh, a family affair, as I say, and there's uh, a, a great feature for everybody. And um, once again, there'll be dancing and there'll be laughter. Magnificent. Willie. Memo. Music Hall, December 16. Check it in now. The tickets are available. Come along. It's going to be such a great night. Beautiful. Wilbur Wild, thank you so much for your time. Simon Owens, absolute pleasure.